called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a joy to be speaking with Carl Reiner. Actually, the first person I can actually say doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to introduce you because he's, you would know him from a variety of things. Uh, younger audiences will know him from the Ocean movies, and uh, but where I grew up watching you first wasn't Dick Van Dyke or your show of shows. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Uh, may I ask you something, please? Uh, are there nine of you out there? Are, are you all Russians with machine guns? And does one of you look like Uncle... I mean, uh, look like a wrestler? Uh, I'm sorry to uh, comply with your statement, but misfortunately, all of the answers to these questions are yes. And that's the first question I want to ask you. Since the title is Just Ask a Question, I'll just ask you this question. That movie I saw when I was a kid came at a time when <clears throat> we were growing up. Our, our next-door neighbor, honest to God, had a bomb shelter. And we were told the Russians were our enemy and we were all, all going to die. And I was scared to death. I wouldn't even get to be an adult. And then I saw this movie and your character, Walt Whitaker, yes. a comedy writer right. <laughs> who was the same guy in the middle of all this craziness, and at the end of the day, you left with a smile thinking, well, the Russians aren't that bad. Did you know what that was when you all did it? Oh, no, absolutely. As soon as I read it, I said, this is a very important movie for the Times. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was important for two reasons, for the Times and for me. It was the first and only leading role I had in a major motion picture. The only one I ever did that had me... And I, I remember saying after it, my God, my leading lady, first she worked with Brando, then with, uh, uh, she right. worked with a slew of... Uh, even Marie Saint, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cary Grant, you know, yeah. even Marie Saint. And here I was, the major, the major role in a major motion picture. So that was the number one thing for me. And then the story, I, I knew what it was going. At the very end, we see we help... The uh, Russians. The, no, we yeah, we help the Russians by uh, telling our planes to bypass. They were told that you know they were going to bomb us, and and that we they waved goodbye at the end, and we were all smiling. And as a matter of fact, that was the high point of the Russian-American uh, relationship. Yeah, uh, it calmed the, the world. We need a little of that right now. Ah, uh, yes, we do, and I want to talk a little bit about that. How, wh why do you say that? Why do we need a little bit of that now? What's wrong? Oh, we have a guy named... Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. We have a guy named... Uh, what's his name? Donald Trump. Plump. plump. Uh, Trump, Trump, yeah, Trump. He's Trump. a plump Trump. The Trumpster. He's often a grump. Well, I, the Trumpster belongs in the dumpster. Here it is. Here we Oh, look at... The downing of Trump. Yeah, when I, I was so... Um, it, it was a... Uh, a labor of love, getting up in the morning, going to my computer, tweeting something. I love your tweets, by the way. About Trump. Yeah. Mainly, and I 
I got the idea that a lot of people were feeling as I did, and because I got the answers from them, you know, they responded to it. So I, I, I asked the, um, the people who were tweeting with me, I said, send me your tweets. Your, um, and we called it the downing of Trump and, and his co-co-co-co-tweeters. And, and, and it is accurate because there, there it is. Oh, the, you know, I, I'm going through this book is, is an absolute uh, 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 template of what he's doing. The, yeah, down, the downing of Trump by and for the people by Karl Reiner in total agreement. And he is written by, and I have two pages. And oh, these are all the tweets. Big letters. Yeah. Or the names of the co-tweeters, people who sent me their tweets. And the interesting thing is when they sent me their tweets, they were, some of them were wonderful graphic artists. And they sent me, besides photos, you know, they took photos, and, and I love this, at his inaugural, they sent me a photo. Here's an, him with his hand on the Bible, with his <laughs> hand raised, one hand on the Bible. At his inauguration, Donald Trump displaying his ability to multitask, speaking and pledging and touching the Bible. <laughs> and, and so they, they sent me the pictures, and I, I would, I... Uh, the great sense of humor. Yeah, now this is a, this cannot be believed. He is boasting, Trump boasted that his, the crowd for his inauguration was the biggest in history and is a picture of a mall with all wide open spaces, just very few people at the beginning. You see all the white pavement. Yes, I was there. And at Obama's inauguration, the Park Service stated there were a a record-breaking 1.8 million you can't see any cement. All you see is heads people. of people looking at the at the. It's uh, like a swarm of ants. Yeah, the White House. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. I mean, it does. Yeah. America, yeah, Humpty Dumpty. Make America on. hate again. Make America. <laughs> and the name of the book is. The name of the book is The Downing of Trump. And we can pick it up in bookstores, and oh, Amazon, yeah. and. As a matter of fact, I guess you randomcontent.com. can. Randomcontent.com. Randomcontent.com. I'm gonna. I gotta have a copy of it. So I Carl, tweet every day. So they. <laughs> They'll go to randomcontent.com and Carl. They send Carl a uh, little note, and Carl answers back and he signs the book. Oh, well that's yeah. there. You go. So go to randomcontent.com, sign in, and get uh, Carl Reiner to sign your book. I would. I would. That would be fantastic. Oh, what, this, who's the first president you remember? The first lifetime? president I remember is. Um, well, just hold on for a second. Let me see. Something. Yeah. First president I remember would be, of course, influence our lives mostly is uh, uh, Roosevelt. FDR. The FDR, right? And As a matter FDR of fact, tr- I was in the army, and FDR was our president. And I remember being overseas, and we hear that President Roosevelt passed away, and all of us asking, who who who's the president? Who's the who was the vice president? No, none of us heard of Truman. He surprised us a little bit with his... With, yeah, with his guys. Yeah, he was, you know, not a bad guy. Yeah. You'd, so you've seen FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, it's Johnson, a, Nixon, uh, Carter, Ford, or Ford Carter, and then Reagan, the two Bushes, Clinton, yeah. Obama, and this guy. 
Have you ever seen anything like this? Nothing like them. As a matter of fact, I met Eisenhower because I emceed a 60th birthday party in Washington, and I, myself and uh, the Lennon sisters and somebody else, we all performed. And I remember doing, he had the Mexican president there sitting with him at the, in the box, and um, I did an impression, a double talk impression in Russian. So there was a Russian ambassador right. there too. And they said to him, what's he saying, what's he saying? They were asking him, <laughs> he says, I don't know, I don't understand. They sent somebody back, and I said, it's no, nothing you could understand, it's double talk. And I had to show him what double talk was, so I'm instructing that I'm what, it, what I'm doing. <laughs> that, was, that was a great moment. And, and the other- No, they didn't understand double talk, they didn't understand gibberish double talk. Yeah, <laughs> right. But the interesting thing was, uh, part of the, uh, the uh, show was, Maybe the best performer, uh, uh, mon monologist ever. Mark Twain, played by Hal Holbrook. Oh. When I first saw that, I was transformed. I saw it in a little theater in New York, in the kind of a theater Mark Twain would have done. The rugs were still the rugs that were there when Mark Twain right. actually played that theater, little theater in New York. I took my kids to see him. I was mesmerized, and here he is, and when Eisenhower came backstage and congratulated us for, you know, we, he came to us, I shook his hand, I kowtowed like I really meant to. He was my president during the right. war. He saved us from worse <laughs> annihilation. Um, and, uh, and Hal Holbrook was there. He went over to Hal Holbrook, and Hal remained Mark Twain. And the way I kowtowed to, to, he kowtowed to... Uh, to Hal Holbrook, he sort of like bent over. Eisenhower? Yeah, and oh, congratulations. Well, it was magic, it was a magic time. That's, uh, well. But as far as the presidents I met, I met that one, uh, Harry S. Truman, uh, I was on a Johnson-Humphrey campaign, you know, priming for his, 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 his elect, those, those two guys' election, and we went to, uh, Missouri to visit uh, Harry Truman who was sick. He was behind a window in his very simple neighborhood. He lived in the neighborhood that we would live in. The only right. difference between his lawn and his, his was mowed. Everybody else's lawn was <laughs> and he was in the window in a bathrobe and we waved at him. Eddie Fisher, myself, um, uh, Barbara Rush, uh, Henry Fonda, we all sang, I'm just wild about Harry. That was a memorable moment. I met- um, Kennedy? Kennedy, uh, no, I never met Kennedy. But there's, I did meet Clinton when I won the Mark Twain Prize. He, he wasn't there, but he invited me to come back to the White House, and we did. And uh, my, uh, we sat in the kitchen, my wife and I, and he sat in the kitchen for maybe two hours at 12 o'clock, he found a piece of cake there. <laughs> he, the, the a cake? Kid, a big cake. We ate a cake, and we talked a long time. Most charming. And when he says, I feel your pain, he meant it, because I remember uh, later that, that day, my uh, my brother was in 30, uh, 11 major battles. And he had a friend, 
20, I mean, um, Clinton had a friend who, uh, a relative or something, who fought in those battles. And he said, two brothers, they, were, they knew them well. And he said, I went with them on D-Day for a memorial service. And he pointed to a spot. One of the brothers said, that's where my brother was when the bomb hit him. And I blew him up. I saw him. Oh, my God. And he said, and there's where my uncle was over there. I saw him blown up. And he started to cry. And he started, Clinton. And when he said, I feel your pain, you know, he always said that. Yeah. He really did. He was, he was so tearful talking to my brother about that because my brother was in all these major battles. He sat at the edge of his chair because my brother was in a wheelchair and he spoke to him for about an hour telling him this story, weeping. Oh and when God. he says, I feel your pain, he really was that kind of guy. I wish we had that now. Rumor has it, I wanted to ask you this. Rumor has it, and I, I've never confirmed it, so I'll ask you. You were on set the day Kennedy died for the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, yes, I think we were. And it was one of those days where you just sat with your mouth wide open. You couldn't couldn't believe it. And, of course, to this day, we not never knew right. who was behind the wood, the knoll, you know. Right, the grass. Was there one guy in the up there with a gun on the 11th floor who took him out? Or was that other gun? They're still talking about whether What they, happened that day? Yeah, they, they, they're pretty sure there were a few shooters. What was it like? That's, you know, one of the things I, you know, your show of shows and the I the question I've always wanted to ask, I guess we'll go back to that. There's a couple things I want to hit on, but um, your show of shows, when I read about that, the talent that was in that writer's room. Oh, yeah. As a writer, I know. I've worked myself and struggled and wondered what would it be like to be in, and you were in that room. He's to be a little overwhelmed by Al. <laughs> He's a little Al. Al Dunsey. Al. Al boy. This is your story, Al. Now come on up here, Al. What? Yes, sir. Come on up here, Al. Well, you know, the very first day on the show shows, I was on a show called the 54th Street Review. Right. And uh, Max Liebman was looking for somebody to straight for Sid. And he saw me and he invited me to come. And the very first day I came into the office and, and I didn't know anybody. Mel Brooks was there. He was, I'll never forget those first words because Mel was a friend of Sid's. He was, he used to, Give him jokes for thirty-five dollars a joke or something, and he, I think that's still what they're paying today. <laughs> when when I came into the room, Mel was up standing, and I'll never forget it. He said um, uh, he was he played a um, a pirate, a Jewish pirate, and he said, uh, and I'll never forget the first lines. I didn't know who he was. He said, "Do you know how hard it is to set sail these days?" You know about that charging for sale cloth? A dollar thirty-seven cents a yard. I can't afford it to pillage and rape anymore. That was the first thing. I, I didn't know who he was. The following day, I had watched uh, the Sunday morning shows with all the news on it. Right. I walked. I was furious about something I had heard, and I walked into the office, and Mel was there. He didn't know I was going to ask him a question, but I did. I went right over to him. And I said, I said, you've lived for 2,000 years over, sir. You knew Christ, didn't you? He says, thin lad, right? <laughs> he wore sandals. 
walked around with 12 other guys. Yeah, they came into the store. I had a candy store. They never bought anything, but they, they asked for water. I gave them nice boys. That was the first lines out of them. The 2,000-year-old man. Yeah, and, and I, I called him a 2,000-year-old man. I said, you live for 2,000 years. And then from that day on, for the next five years, at parties in the office, when anybody was bored, we got up and I got up and started asking him questions. I never knew the questions I was going to ask or the answers I would get. He never knew what they were. For five years we did it. We thought it was we, we, we command performances for people's parties. We went, and for five years we did it, thinking that it's only for Jews and non-anti-Semitic Gentiles. <laughs> and, uh, and it was Steve Allen who really is, we did it at a party he was at, and it was um, George Burns. Was the, he was at that party? He said, "He's just like you got this put on tape. You got it on record." And he said, "No, he's better put it on record. I'll steal it." I remember he said that. <laughs> Edward, and I believe that Edward G. Robinson said, "I want to play that thousand-year-old man on Broadway. I'd like to play that man thousand-year." I said, "He's two thousand. I can play any age. Actually said that. <laughs> and Steve Allen said, fellas, I have a, a studio called World Pacific Jazz. Why don't you and Mel go in there, invite two, 300 people, just wail. And we did just that. We, we talked for about two hours and 30 minutes. And I got cut, the record. And cut it down to 57 minutes. And when the record came out, I remember I had it a bungalow at uh, Universal. I was doing pictures there. And uh, Cary Grant was my neighbor, and he had a bungalow. And I gave him one. And he came by, and he says, that, he says, that was funny. He says, uh, can I have a dozen? And I said, what are you <laughs> going to do with them? And take them to, to London. I said, you going to take these to England? Yeah, they speak English there, you know. <laughs> Act, those are actual words. He came back and he said, she loved it. I said, who? The Queen Mother. As you no, played this at Buckingham. <laughs> you know, my favorite, I don't know. I, and he I, said, I said, yes. I said, the biggest chicks in the world <laughs> signed off on us. I said, we're, we're home free. About four days ago, a plane landed at Idlewild Airport. The plane came from the Middle East, bearing a man who claims to be 2,000 years old. He spent the last six days at the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> Sir, is it true that you are 2,000 years old? Oh, boy. Did <laughs> <laughs> you that was going to be that big of a hit? No, no, we didn't. And then when the, the records came out and they saw to sell like hotcakes, and then we did like four or five of them. And we never knew, he never knew what I was going to ask. And, he, and by the way, once we were, we're now at the top of our game where the records are selling, and we're invited to the Cow Palace in San Francisco at big money for two shows, one, one after another. I think we got uh, 20000 a show, two, two of its two shows, 40000 whatever it was. And Mel was complaining, what do you get, take me to do? He was always complaining, I don't, what do I need this for? I mean, he, was, he was worried because 
he never knew what I was going to ask, and he never knew what he, if he, he had say. an answer, but he always did. And so on the way back from the flying back, he's very quiet. And I said, Mel, knowing the reaction we just got, which they wouldn't stop applauding, how much money would you have taken to, to, for this gig, knowing what you know now? And he said, $7.40. <laughs> and he meant it. He meant we would have done it for nothing. But it was that kind of exhilarating. That, that live feel from an audience you can't replace. No, I, I I know how you, I know I know that feeling. Yeah. How did but to be in that room? How was it? How did that work to be in a room with all those talented people? Well, you know, it's around? funny. In the show of shows, when I was first there, uh, there was uh, Doc Simon, Neil Simon, his brother, who was not very good. Uh, Larry Gelbart, who was brilliant, um, Mike Stewart, who used to take it all down. He was the like the, the stenographer. The, yeah, the stenographer. But sometimes he wouldn't write it down. He said, "Why don't you write it down, Mike?" He says, "Not worthy." <laughs> he never spoke up. He was a loner. He was alone. And finally, he left us to do Candide. Wow. He went to New York to do yeah. Candide. He did five major shows. And he died very young, and he was hiding his homosexuality because he never went to lunch with us. He just didn't want to talk anything. And he turned out to be one of the nicest human beings. And I met his sister, and we thought we were going to meet him in France. I said, oh, we're going to have lunch. He died when he was in his 50s or something. But Mike Stewart was really something. And I was saying, Larry Gelbart, who... Uh, um, Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, you? Well, me and Neil Simon was very interesting. Neil Simon, I said, had the voice of a turtle. He would sit quietly, and um, I would be sitting next to him. It just happened accidentally. And I remember saying it not once, but maybe 30 times. He'd mumble something. I said, hold it, fellas. Neil's got it. Neil has it. And I said what Neil, I said the joke that Neil, and it always got in. And he became, <laughs> he became the guy to go to when you need a, when you're stuck. He, and Larry Gelbart, you know, just, uh, Larry Gelbart didn't need a straight line to get a laugh. He could <laughs> use a pinprick to get a, he was one of the, the single funniest men I ever knew. The, the, the writers we had in that room. And then there was a guy named Tony Webster. Yeah. Tony Webster uh, was an acerbic, uh, the only gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote a, a, a book, a play called uh, God Almighty. Um, I went to see it. Uh, such a brilliant play. It's God in heaven, man passes away, goes up to heaven and meets God. And he says, he says hello. He says, uh, I'm here. Who are you? A man. You created me. No, he said, I don't remember that. I remember creating a little a little bug that can carry something 16 times its size. I remember that. I remember flowers. Of course, they smell so good and they look so good. Show me what you do. What do you do? And this is interesting. What he did, uh, he did a soft shoe across the stage. I mean, if you think about it, it's the essence of what man is. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing, uh, you know, a, a Gene Kelly or a right. Fred Astaire doing a soft shoe 
across the stage, or Ray Bolger. It was just mesmerizing. And, and, and then God says, can you teach me that? <laughs> that was the line. <laughs> and when he, when he says, I, I don't know, at the very end, uh, God is alone on stage. He looks around, he sees disease, pestilence, rape, and he's looking up like this. He's looking to God. He's, <laughs> he's looking up for a God to, <laughs> to, 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 to fix it. Yeah, to fix it. What def- I, I've always wanted this, the other thing. Uh, to you, what defines funny? What, what? What, what defines funny? What makes you laugh? Well, well, and we all have a, the same experience. We're born of people. We live in neighborhoods. We have friends. We have family. Uh, the same thing, and that's why certain comedians become successful media because they do themselves. They reflect who they are, and everybody's the same. If you don't reflect who you are, you're not like other people, and they right. won't laugh at. So it's really, you know, as I said when I did the the show that really defines me forever is the Van Dyke show, because it's about me. It's about you know wh- right. wh- what I did with my wife and my kids and what I thought, and uh, and I knew when I was doing it. I said uh, when I used other for the first fifty shows, thirty shows. I wrote the first thirty shows to get alone you know it was my own story editor my own producer and wow. uh, and i remember when i got writers in i say fellas there's no there's no uh slang we use no slang of the day because this i have a feeling this show is going to last forever and i was right it's colorized now right yeah i like it in the black and white that's how i saw it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have to tell you and, and I do want to talk, I've always wanted to talk Dick Van Dyke with you, but there is one show that remains my favorite with you in it, Coast to Coast Big Mouth. Oh, yeah. Well, Coast to Coast Big Mouth <laughs> was based on the fact that uh, Mary gives out to another television station uh, accidentally that... Uh, You're bald. That I'm bald and I wear a toupee. And then her coming in... And, uh, that scene. Yeah, scene. That was one of my funniest scenes. I thought that it was. You've got the cane, right? Because yeah. your your foot is hurt, yeah. and and you've got the 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 dolls there with the with the uh, different wigs on yeah, it, and you yeah. go there. The, there, the, fellas. There's a little lady who puts you out of business. Yeah, no, there's a funny thing. I hurt my leg. And my so my foot was up, and right. I I put my foot down and hit it on a drawer. Right. And I really hit it. I didn't mean to and I, ow so it's all for real that was that, for real the whole thing was for real no don't say anything let me look at you fellas <laughs> I laughed, and the, the line that you gave about, you know, that you were actually thankful that she did it, and then you turned to, to Rob Petrie, and you go, see, you, we've got to apologize when they do something wrong. Yeah. I was on the floor. And- by, by the way, uh, when I um, was, uh, I originally did the pilot for myself called yes. Head of the Family, and it didn't sell. It was okay. So uh, Sheldon Leonard saw the 
13 episodes I had written in Fire Island, knowing if I do this thing, I better have a, a Bible for other writers. So I had 13 episodes. Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas saw these episodes and they said, it's gold. And uh, so I said to Sheldon, I said, Sheldon, I don't want to fail with the same material twice. And he said, and this is a good impression, you won't fail or get a better actor to play you. <laughs> and, he's, and, and he mentioned Dick Van Dyke. And I didn't know who Dick Van Dyke was. He said he's. That was a good Sheldon Leonard, by the way. <laughs> that was yeah. a very good Sheldon Leonard. Yeah. And he, I, he said that he's in New York with Cheetah Rivera. They're playing in uh, Bye Bye Birdie. I went to New York and I saw the most talented all around performer I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, that was my opinion of him when I saw what he right. can do, and and he can put it all together. This, he can do three or four things at once like nobody ever seen. And uh, Steve Martin said, in the history of show business, there is no more talented human being than Dick Van Dyke, and it's true. To this day, he's 71 years old. He still dares to jam, jump and do the you know the. The man on the roof. Yeah, the, he's still. He's yeah. yeah. I think he's in his. He's older than that, and he's nice. Yeah, he, he's amazing. Yeah, he. He. Well, I. That was an amazing cast. Yeah. I thought you put together a great. The baby Rosemary. Rosemary. Yeah. Well, that and, that one fell into place because I called the Morris office, and he said we got the girl right here, sitting right here. She's the Imogene Coca's and no, and no character. And no. Yeah, Rosemary. That was the Rosemary, character she was playing. Yeah, Imogene right? wasn't in it. No. And, and, and more, and she said, I have the guy to play. I was looking for a more uh, for a uh, Mel Brooks type, and we had Maury Amson. I mean, I'd seen him in New York. He had a place called the Laugh Factory where he, he was the human joke machine. He would he would you throw up a subject and he'd make a joke out of it. And on the show, he did that all the time. If we needed a one-liner, bang, there it was. And uh, the other thing that was difficult was finding Mary. I saw 23 girls, and none of them, I flew one from New York. She, Eileen Brennan, I think, she was very oh, good, yeah. but she was too strong for, for, for Dick. And so uh, I remember uh, I, I, I told Sheldon, I said, I don't know what I'm looking for here. He said, you'll know when you find her. And I saw about 20 girls, and one day a girl came to the, my office reluctantly because she had uh, done a few auditions that week, didn't work, and she had done one thing as a uh, salesman for Happy Hot Point, a um, you know right. a washing machine. She came in. She she stood on these beautiful legs. She said two words. I gave her a script. She said two words. I said, "Hold it." My <laughs> hand became the claw. That's in a one of those machines and, and you know, that picks, right. up, picks up candy. And I went and I grabbed the top of her. She was thought I was going to cost her. I grabbed the top of her head and I said, come with me, young lady. I walked <laughs> down the hall and I walked into Sheldon's office. I said, Sheldon, we found her. Wow. And that was it. Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. That was, you know, it was the first time you ever saw a couple on TV. You thought maybe they had a, you know, they were getting it on. And, and they always mentioned it later. They would have loved to, they if they both hadn't been involved. 
She was married, he was married. She married Duran Tinker. Yeah. And uh, that was later. But uh, no, she had a tough life. She was. She did. Uh, she was. Her father never said two words to her. She was always beautiful and pretty and could dance. More could she dance. Yeah. And uh, she never got a, a compliment from her. She told me, she said, when I was 16, I went to the prom, I bought a dress, they bought me a dress, and my father looked at me on the way out, and he said, Mary, you look very handsome. That was the only compliment she ever got. From her, from her own dad. From her own dad. Wow. You look very handsome. That was, uh, th those five years of that show had to have been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That was, that was, defines me, that show. No question about it. Well, all right, full disclosure from my end. Danny Thomas, that the uh, and I love the Walnut episode. Oh, where, yeah. yeah, where, yeah. And the, the Annie Ups episode, uh, <laughs> Sunny Tufts. When you, oh, yeah. Yeah, when you thought the UFO was saying Sunny Tufts. Yeah, yeah. Sunny Tufts. Sunny Tufts. Sunny Tufts. Those were And the uh, Sneaky yes. Camera episode you was know, a was great fun. one. I remember certain things about that show. One is that I, I did a... a um, a sound effects. They didn't have a sound effects in the middle of the night. I mean, he's alone in it. Right. He thinks there's a, there's a space traveler or something. And uh, the water bottle, you know, sometimes yeah. makes a noise. They couldn't find the water bottle. And I said, well, like, give me a mic. That was you? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was one of the funniest parts of that whole episode. Yeah. Well, all right, so full disclosure, Danny Thomas is my third cousin. He is. And would come to um, family reunions on occasion. There's a picture of him in the 60s. And he wore to a family reunion the outfit that he wore in that episode with the walnuts. Yes. And floored. There's 200 Lebanese Catholics sitting there, and, and as he walked in as as you know the Twilo Zone guy, and, yeah. and floored everybody with just the cane and the yeah. the hat. You know, I remember going to a club to seeing Danny Thomas, because he was like no other comedian. He talked for real yeah. about things for real, and you were roaring with laughter. He was one of a kind. That time, all right, the 60s. Now, it, it, your series ends in 65, but those were some of the most tumultuous times this country ever went through. I know. And um, now here we are again. It seems like deja vu all over again. Does yeah. it not a bit to you? Well, it seems even worse. We have a guy in the White House. Never have we had somebody who claims to be president. <laughs> Robert Mueller did not exonerate the president. The House voted 420 zero to, re to release the report. Trump doesn't want to release, so McConnell won't bring it up for a vote. Considering this is the most corrupt president in U.S. history, there must be some pretty bad shit in there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Do you I think that there's a way out of this? Huh? Do you think there's a way out of this Yeah, mess? impeaching in prison. Impeach and imprison. You think would do that? Yeah. You think that will actually happen? <laughs> well, <laughs> Before or after oh, re-election? Yeah. 
While having dinner and watching Jeopardy, I thought, is Trump aware how much in Jeopardy or his job, his living quarters, and how close he is to being in jail? That's he's in Jeopardy. He really is. I would like to see the country heal. And I, that yeah. what frightens me is that people can't even, you can't even, the country seems so divisive. And you, who made You know, it, the Republicans are now all worried about how to get him out of there. They don't want oh, him running in They there. don't like him. No. no, no. They don't like him. They hold their nose yeah. because he's getting in their judges. And yeah. that's why they hold their nose. But <clears throat> from my perspective, <clears throat> and I like, you know, I like good comedy. I like to laugh. It's hard to go on a college campus these days. It's hard to, it's hard to make a joke. It's hard to it to even laugh for some people. I know. How uh, that's got to be hard for you to take. You've made your life that way. Well, so we still get up every night and tweet before we go to bed <laughs> and yeah. laugh. Yeah, and laugh. We, it's hard to laugh at him. It's. Oh, I find that easy. <laughs> There's one thing he will not get any pity from anybody. By the way, the percentage of people who uh, side with him is so low. No, no sitting president ever had that such a low. But they vote. Yeah, we have a dumb electorate. Well, it, there's there's a line in a movie you directed that I'm reminded of often when I think of that, and that is, "Shit, Shinola, shit, Shinola, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're gonna be okay, boy." <laughs> they, if they know the difference between the two. Now that you're going out into the world, there's uh, something you should know. You see that? Yeah. That's shit. And this is Shinola. Shit. Shinola. Son, you're going to be all right. For those who don't know, that's from The Jerk. You're fine, son. <laughs> you're fine. You're, you're ready. <laughs> how much fun was it doing that movie? Pardon? How how much fun was it doing the jerk? Oh, that was my first incursion with uh, Steve uh, Steve Martin. Yeah, Steve Martin, and he is like one of the genius categories, and not in the field do you think. He's more knowledgeable about art than anybody. Really? He, he can be a curator. Uh, you know, I did. I think for the Mark Twain Prize, <clears throat> we were in. Uh, in Washington, and we went to a little luncheon, and there was a a floor-to-ceiling American painters, paintings of American works. I've never seen so many. And as for fun, at the end, I said hello to the people, greeted them, I said, we're going to have a little fun. I said, Steve Martin is going to name as many as pictures as I point to and watches, Steve, what's that painting up there in the corner? That's um, Arthur Bruegel. What did he named it? Right. He named the painting. <clears throat> he named about 11, and there are people roaring because the names are funny and the paintings are funny. And the curator, curator was there. I said, how many has he got right so far? She says, all of them. Wow. He had every one of them right. I said, well, I found out later that when he was a young actor, young comedian, right, he got very little money, but he toured the whole country playing every town, and every town he went to, he went to the galleries and the museums, and he knew all of those painters. 
Wow. He saw them for years and years and years. And he actually did a, he curated a, uh, a book on, on, on collectors of great, great art. It's an incredible book. But what he knows is amazing. What separates a comedian's mind from someone else? What, what, what's uh, they, different? Well, they see, they see it through a, a prism, but the prism is their personal prism born of something usually in high intelligence. It's, you know, there's no comedian, maybe, maybe you know, who's those, uh, who, who's the, the two guys, uh, low intelligence, but. Uh, Abbott and Costello? Yeah, <laughs> Abbott and Costello, right. <laughs> but usually high intelligence, and they have a point of view, and uh, they, get a, they get their point of view across by being funny. It's, uh, it, you know, there's, I remember sitting in a room full of comedians once and we were just sitting there and you're tossing one-liners out from any setup, you know, a paint can and somebody would come up with a line, you know, or something else or somebody would walk through the door and there'd be four comedians making a comment about who it is and all of them falling out. And then sometimes, it, and like you were talking, I guess it was Neil Simon who was the quiet mumbler. Yeah, yeah. There's the one guy. Yes. <laughs> Everybody else is over the top, and then you have to listen to the one guy, and he's always got the best lines you, that you can't hear. You know, my son Rob once called me from New York. He said, "Dad, I just saw a comedian. There's nobody like him. I've never seen anything like it." Robert Klein. Yeah. He was just talking about life. Yeah. What he saw that day, or what occurred to him that day. It was so chatty. But hilarious. My mom used to walk around the house singing Alan Brady, Alan Brady <laughs> from that show, one show that you did, and it stuck in my head over That's all so these funny. years. That's so <laughs> By the way, I wasn't going to play that part. It was going to be an offstage voice, you know. Right. So uh, the f first time I wrote him, I had him with his back to the audience, you know, being the boss. And then, then one of the two of the uh, episodes had so much good information, and I, it'd be unfair to the uh, to the role, to the to the cast not to see not to interact the other. And, and so I had to turn myself around. That's how I became him. I wasn't intended to be seen. Really? Yeah. I didn't that that I didn't know. Oh no, I stayed. Three or four or five. I remember there were a couple episodes where you didn't see you, but the very beginning, very yeah. beginning, yeah, yeah. That was, but that that one and yeah. Then then when she uh, talks about his hairpiece or something, yeah, that yeah. one. Like yeah, I said, that is my favorite scene in yeah. my absolute favorite scene in the Dick and Dyke show is the scene with you and Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, and it's over the the hairpieces. There she is, fella. The yeah. little lady who put you out of business. Right. <laughs> you had all the varying degrees by of the, the way, toupees. those were my hair pieces. Were those were your yeah. hair pieces? And the little one I put yeah. on, I, yeah. that was the first one I ever had. This big, it was just a few strands in here. That was hilarious. <laughs> this is when I wanted to go gradually bald. And listen. Yeah. What do I do? What do I do with these? She said, well, maybe you find some needy bald person. <laughs> Yeah. And then that's when you started laughing yeah, yeah. and banging your head. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that's a damn good scene. Yeah. But but everybody, like I said, going back to that, everybody in that cast had yeah. moments that were, you know, Mel Cooley character. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Mel was a wonderful guy and a great cook. Really? He was a great He wrote a, one of the great cookbooks. He Richard was, Deacon? Yeah, Richard Deacon. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the the, the uh, joke machine, Maury Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, well, he was... But Millie Helper... By the, the way, he was an interesting guy for many reasons. As a young man, he played cello in the San Francisco Symphony. And I remember he said... He also, also cracked jokes. And Will Rogers was on the show a few times, and he passed up jokes to Will Rogers that Will Rogers used. You're kidding? Yeah, yeah. That would be a <laughs> You'd love to have that on your resume. I wrote yeah. a, I wrote a, yeah, he had a joke it. for Will Rogers. Yeah. Well, I, when he had that place in New York, you know, the joke machine. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, where you... Where he, yeah. Yeah. That, well, and there were times... I got to tell you, and uh, I'll... And oh, I'll, by the way, the single best documentary I ever saw, and I wish I had known it at the time, because Rosemary came on the show uh, thinking the show was about writers, and she would she never had enough to do. And we she was she and I were at odds many times. Wow. You know, and uh, and then I saw a documentary, which I went to see. She was alive then. She saved everything. I said then, and I say it again, it's the best documentary ever done on any celebrity in the history of documentaries. Wow. Go get it and on look her. at it. Because in it, yeah. you know who took care of when she was four years old, I remember her because I was baby Rosemary. Baby Rosemary, she sang with this big voice on radio. I used to listen. My parents loved Baby Rosemary. Then, but you know who handled her? Who? Two guys. Um, Al Capone and another the other uh, Dutch Bugsy. Bugsy? Huh? Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy Siegel and Al Capone handled From Baby Rosemary. She was four years old. Wow. They were her her managers. They took her everywhere. They got her a lot of money. They took her to what became Vegas. There was no show place there. They built the show place. Their first act was Baby Rosemary. And there's a picture of that. And they also have a picture of Okay, mind blown. Capone, you know, and, and yeah. Bugsy Siegel. Yeah, Bugsy Siegel created yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. I and guess now we're, we know it was with Rosemary. It was. That was the first star who played there. I didn't know that. I, I, I did not know that till you told me that no. just now. And then I sort of remembered we did something together. And I didn't realize that the thing we did together is a thing I wrote Wow! called The Thrill of It All. It was called originally The Thrill Girl, which they schmuck changed it to The Thrill of It All, which meant nothing. <laughs> thrill, the Thrill Girl would mean something. Thrill Girl would mean something. Yeah, anyway. Um, Don't you hate when they change your titles? Yeah. I, it drives me nuts. I hated that. I, I, I still hate I it I got myself. the idea because of uh, the fact I was uh, an MC on a... Uh, a talk and a um, game show, a celebrity game or something, and I was waiting to get made up, and uh, they were making up the models, and I had to go on, and they didn't come on, but they had a walkthrough, 
and I'm I thereupon the uh, the whole the whole the whole show opened up, and I wrote the show based on that little thing, and it was the the thrill of it all. The la- last couple of things I want to talk to you about, and I really appreciate you spending time with us. Let's listen. I, I love it. We're talking about me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the the oceans movies that you yeah. did. That um, see, you brought a lot of laughter to those too. What was it like working with that set of? Well, first of all, you worked with a real rat pack. Yeah, first. I saw you at the paddock before the second race outside the men's room when I placed my bet. I saw you before you even got up this morning. How you been, son? Never better. What's with the orange? My doctor says I need vitamins. So why don't you take vitamins? You come here to give me a physical? Box seats, come on. First of all, the doorbell rang at right the, that doorbell rang at twelve o'clock one night, and uh, Jerry Weintraub, who was one of the producers of it, is that it, Jerry? Yeah. He came and he said, I'd like to ask you something. As we have this property, and we'd like you to play, uh, you know, a character in it, Ocean's Eleven. I know the original one from right. Sinatra. And I said, who fell out? <laughs> <laughs> and he told me, he said, somebody. <laughs> and I said, oh, I just want to know who fell out. Anyway, so that was... Um, he came at midnight, didn't you ask him what the hell is he doing at your door at midnight? Yeah, <laughs> right. And I said, yeah. He, he, I have a so, question to ask you. I got a question to ask you. What the hell are you doing at my door at midnight? Yeah. Anyway, so it, it was... A, the thing about Oceans was the, the guys, every one of them was handsome, but not as good a human being as they were handsome. They were better human beings. I mean, when I met that at that very time, um, what's his name? Uh, George Clooney, his father, just came back from Dubai, I think, someplace, right. where they brought food for the kids, you know. They each had something going. Uh, Matt Damon, they all had Don Cheadle, uh, Rwanda. He was doing all kinds of things in Rwanda to help the country pulled together, every one of them was much more uh, a person than they were as an actor or a star. I, I was so impressed with all of them, every one of them. And, and uh, yeah, and who was, uh, yeah, and oh, uh, um, the guy who plays, uh, I love him, uh, oh God. Which one, Brad Pitt or? Uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah. He he was, he's a father of a bunch of kids. He's just an unbelievable human being. All of them. I was more impressed with who they are. Listen, Carl, I really appreciate you doing this. I it, To me, this has been uh, the best way to spend an afternoon I could uh, with someone who taught me what it was <laughs> to be funny. I can't tell you how enjoyable that is. Well, my pleasure. And I want to thank everyone for joining us again. The show is Just Ask the Question. I hope you'll come back with us sometime and visit some more. The only way I would do that if you come here and 
put that man there, that man there. And that I man. think we can do that. Yes. <laughs> Thank Beautiful. you very much, and thanks for joining us. See you next time.